Hi, Coach Joe Lucas, and welcome to the Magellan Network Show. For nearly 30 years, I have been focused on helping advisors become the best both personally and professionally. This show is dedicated to sharing with you tools, tips, strategies, distinctions, things that are working now. I'd love for you to take a moment, and if you're watching this on YouTube, click the like button and also the subscribe button so you get automatic updates. And if you happen to be listening to us on a podcast, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast and you leave a positive review for us. Now, with that said, let's get to today's episode. Hi, it's your coach, Joe Lucas, and welcome to this very special episode of the Magellan Network Show. You know, for over 10 years, I've been uh, posting uh, videos and doing shows here on YouTube and, and uh, podcasting. And for the very, very first time in my entire uh, content history, I have a very, very special guest, uh, Mr. Floyd Chelansky. And uh, let me explain why Floyd's here today and why I'm, I'm doing something that I would consider for myself very unprecedented. Um, Floyd and I have known each other for over 15 years. I'm privileged to call him a client and also a very good friend. Floyd is, uh, has just currently, uh, very recently released his book, RIA from Scratch. And when you hear the title, it's way, way much more than that. And so what I wanted to do, I wanted to invite him on today. And what he and I are gonna do, and for those of you who have been part of the show for, for many years, you know I don't interview people, it's not my thing. So we're gonna have this grand experiment uh, inside of uh, this episode, possibly a, a second episode. This man has accomplished so much, and he's got a wealth of knowledge, and there's knowledge, but there's also wisdom. Knowledge is one thing, you could get knowledge by studying. Wisdom comes with time and experience. So what we're gonna do is have the privilege today to kind of tap into just about 40 years of wisdom inside of our game here. So with that being said, uh, Floyd, welcome. Thanks, Joe, appreciate it. And uh, it's hard for me to believe I've been doing this for 40 years. I, it, it truly is. I get up and I respond to clients and I talk to clients and I I think I'm just getting started again, but it's been over 40 years I've been uh, helping people achieve their dreams for sure. Great. And, you know, just getting to know you, you and I have known each other now for over uh, 15 years. And I've watched, uh, even in that time, the evolution you've done, you and your team. And, uh, you know, when I read the book, I was very excited. So uh, let's get into a couple things. And, and so for everybody who's watching, listening, we'll make sure in the show notes, there'll be a link to go get the book. So everybody kind of sit tight. We'll make sure there's a, a mechanism for that to happen for you. And I highly recommend it. But, you know, Floyd, when I read it, I read it, obviously you were, you were nice enough and I was privileged enough to get the, like the rough manuscript and over the last several quarters, yeah. kind of just watching this thing. So I, what I've done, I've picked like eight topics or themes that I really pulled from the book that I thought were, they moved me. I thought they were very valuable. So <clears throat> let's share these with the, with the group today. So talk to me about when you say begin with the end in mind, why? So why is that in your opinion important? You know, I say that, and then I tell people that if you remember or saw Alice in Wonderland and the Cheshire Cat says, where are you going? If you don't know where you're going, it makes no difference which way you go. I also believe that if you set an away point, wherever that waypoint is, and you're navigating to that away point, you've got a course to take. And if life throws you curveballs or you have a storm and you have to deviate, you still have a point you want to go to. So many of us get started, and it's about survival today, not tomorrow where do we want to be? 
So, you know, in our, in our business, financial service business, we ask our clients, you know, what do you want out of life, money, and so on? Well, I want to retire. Great. When? Great. What's your expectancy? Well, that tells us what we have to navigate towards. So many times I talk to business owners, whether it's in our industry or another one, they don't have a clue. They don't have that vision. They don't have that grandeur vision, the moonshot, as I call it, to say, this is where I want to go. Do you think part of it is because, uh, and let's just kind of, we'll, we'll, let's talk about just being advisors for a second. Do you think because initially, and when everybody's kind of born into the industry, the baby advisor, the baby broker, that we're so survival oriented, everything operates inside of a 30 day window, a 24 hour window, that it becomes almost a learned behavior to just be thinking all the time about just making money, survival, fight the next fight, next month, so on, uh, versus having, like you said, the moonshot, the grand vision. Do you think there's a, in your experiences, do you think there's a truth to that, that it's a, a bit of an industry indoctrination that some people never break out of? You know, the industry indoctrination, that's truly what it is, Joe. A good mentor should sit down with a new agent, a new broker, a new advisor, and say, let's map out your strategy. Let's put, to career, let's put together a career path to get you to that strategy. Instead of, you know, to make this club, you gotta sell X. You know, when you go on this trip, you gotta do Y. And I understand the industry. Uh, I have been there both on the life side as well as the broker dealer side, and they want you to addict it. And you've heard me talk about it, that commission drug. Yes. And they want to stick that in your arm and they want to make sure that you're constantly working for it. You know, I remember the life insurance world, you know, Floyd on January 1st, all your agents are equal. You have no income. So go sell, 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 sell. Ah, and you get addicted to that, unfortunately. And you're hundred percent correct. It is the industry, our industry that has predicted that and designed that whether intentional, which I think it was or non-intentional. They've got goals, they've got targets they have to hit from a publicly traded company for the shareholders, for a mutual insurance company, for the policy owners, but it's for the managers. It's for the senior vice presidents to hit their goals and make their additional income. That, that, that's my opinion anyway. No, I think I think you're spot on and it kind of segues beautifully to the next piece I want to talk to you about, which is, you know, you're more than just a product. And, uh, you know, I find it fascinating. You know, one of my other mentors, uh, Jay Abraham, he uh, it profoundly impacted me, uh, you know, almost uh, 30 years ago when he says most people fall in love with their product or service. And what they really need to do is fall in love with their client. And Amen. so to me, you know, I found that very interesting. So, so tell me, you know, cause you spent a good chunk of time in the book talking about this. And by the way, you and I are, are totally sympathetical on this. Why do you think advisors have such a challenge coming off of product service and making it about them? Because ultimately in my belief set, you know, what you're, what we're going to call selling, what we're marketing is a relationship and an outcome right in that in that regard so why do you think advisors struggle with and they kind of they fall in love with whether it's a money manager or an annuity or this or that how come they just can't make it about themselves and the relationship that they bring to the table my opinion if it fails i can blame somebody else it's not me well i hired that manager but if the manager didn't perform it wasn't me well so did this life policy and the corporate entities destroyed the company it wasn't me mm -hmm. we we, we fail to take responsibility for it. And I forget that Navy SEAL that has a big Jocko. Uh, Jocko extreme, 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 extreme responsibility, extreme accountability. Yes. Oh, accountability. Mm -hmm. That's right. right yeah. We are the ones that are accountable 
It's not my broker dealer. It's not the life insurance company. It's mm -hmm. you making your due diligence moves. Should I do this? I've made mistakes. I've got enamored with a wholesaler and a product because he's going to do me right. And he was there for the income. And when it fell apart, he went to another company and I was stuck dealing with the residual right. of that. Right. So, you know, through life, you have all these different experiences. And whether it's an insurance company, a broker dealer, or a product, but at the end of the day, the client looks at you. Mm -hmm. Not the BD, right. not the insurance company, it's you. It's that man in the mirror that you're looking at. Are you doing the right thing for them? All right. And if you fall in love with your clients, and I, I say that literally, yes, don't want to hurt them. You want to be there with them through all the stuff that goes on in life. You know, divorce, mm -hmm. marriage, childbirth, child death, all those things. If you're the trusted advisor, you're in that top two or three phone calls. Floyd, oh my God, this just happened. What do I do? That's what we get paid for is to be there when the clients truly need us in that dark hour, that, that 911 call that you've always heard me talk about. I wanna be there for that call when they need us. So yeah, I, I think the industry uh, has done that to us, unfortunately. They didn't teach us to be individuals. Uh, they taught us to be part of a office, of a branch to build up to that top and set up, you are Joe Lucas Incorporated, Floyd Cholansky Incorporated, because at the end of the day, it's us the clients are gonna to turn to. You know, I like what you said there, and I, I have this other kind of, um, you know, kind of concept, which is going back to what we just talked about, you know, the product, I think also because when you're indoctrinated into this industry, and I feel like we're, we're bashing the industry, but sometimes it needs to be bashed, is because a new advisor doesn't know anything yet, they're still kind of figuring it out, they're taught to lean on the product, lean on the company, lean on that. So again, we have this whole concept of learned behavior. Now, as you know, there are a certain percent of advisors who after a period of time, they kind of reevaluate, they rethink, they break out, they pivot, right? But we also know that's probably in the minority. The majority operate in their entire 30, 40, 50 year career as a perpetual startup all the time. So I just, I think, again, I think you really in the book nailed it in terms of being very clear on, you know, what we are and what we're not. So, so I really appreciate that. You, um, you know, one of the things ahead. I've always said that if I could have found a doctor's bag as my briefcase years mm -hmm. ago, I'm a general practitioner. I, right. I, I know when to bring in the tax expert, when to bring the attorneys in. And I think, and truly, if CPAs and bankers and attorneys quit specializing our financial planning industry may have a bigger challenge of what we have today because we're just supplementing what i think they should have been doing all along but we've niched and niched and niched and become so in enamored with that one area that we've kind of forgotten about what financial planning i think lauren dutton meant it to be so many years ago we should be the first person to bring in the experts to solve the problem, to be that trusted advisor, as BackRap calls us, that first phone call. Right. So in other words, really be that financial quarterback, that personal CFO, really, again, kind of be the gatekeeper for all these other professionals. Interesting. I think so. That, that, that's okay. my opinion. Yeah. Okay. So there's a chapter in the book, which I thought was interesting. I wrote the, the title down because I want to make sure I get it right. Try everything at least multiple times, build it, break it, fix it, break it again. So tell me a little bit about that because I thought that was very fascinating because when I read through it, what I interpreted it to be is say, be open to things. They don't necessarily have to work out of the box, test things, 
get some feedback, tweak it. If it's working great, there's always another level, another version of things, right, to aspire to. So explain why you included that chapter in the book. You know, when I, years ago, and those of you that know of us, Shalanskis, we know we really got our kickstart with successful money management seminars and the Jack Root family. And Jack had a process that you had to go through. When you sell a product, when you engage it at A, B, and C, it was hokey, it was funky, I couldn't get into it, but I kept trying. And my assistant, Charnel, as you know, has been with me for almost 22 years. She says, you gotta keep trying till it works. Well, what I took that to mean until we made it ours. Mm. So we adopt, we justified. And then, you know, Joe, anything that works become complacent. And when we become complacent, we wonder why all of a sudden the performance starts to diminish. Then you have to reevaluate it or you gotta break it, right? When we bring on new people, uh, new agents, new advisors, it's memorization of the script. I don't let them modify it at first. It's gotta be word for word for word for word for word. And after they get through that word and they memorize it, then you start to see the performance improve. And when it starts to lag, then it is, let's go back through it, let's tweak it, new language, new niche, how we wanna, how we wanna affect this thing to be yours, not mine. But until you know that you know, and you know that you know that you know, right. you don't modify it yet, right? And then when it's all working, you, you got to tear it apart. Right. Yeah, you, you have to break it because what was good four years ago isn't necessarily good today, or it's old news. Right. And so I believe that our clients want us to keep up with the trends, so we know if they want to talk about cryptocurrency. Can we have a logical conversation about it instead of you know I don't follow that I don't know. Or what's that, right? Exactly. You know, you know what you said there was interesting about the scripting, right? So the way I, I look at that is, hey, we're going to do it this way because I want you to get competent in it, right? So competency is about repetition. But then the second part, then we're going to tweak it and make it yours. That's the competency to mastery gap. That's yeah. that next pivot where now you're congruent, you own it, it's yours, it's innate. It's no, you're no longer just competent in it. You now mastered it, right? So I totally agree, and that's a very interesting, you know, very interesting way you explain it. And then let's talk about, you know, as Mr. Sullivan would call, creative destruction, right? Break it down all the time, which, as you know, because you know, you and I've kind of tongue-in-cheeked it about when I do my, when I cut, what are you up to, right? Like, yep, tearing it down again, right? So you know, I, I think as a business owner, and, and I like you, and this is not really, but since you brought it up, I'm, I want to step into it. I personally think it's important that every business owner, every advisor, and I don't think there's like a schedule where you have to set it, but I think when you get up one day and you're kind of like, oh, you know, just okay with things, i.e. bored, wondering, it's time to not physically tear it down, but get on the whiteboard and blank sheet the thing and start again and figure it out. So I know you've done that in your business several times. Talk to us a little bit about that. Well, you know we're doing that again right now as I release more and more of the day-to-day -day operations into off to, you know, my, for Jamie and Micah, uh, I have to continually, how do I, how do I still fit in? Okay. And it's a whiteboard thing. You know, uh, I, I told the kids and I've told everyone that listens to me in our industry, you really need three stools of income. All right. And I'll be general in this conversation, whether it's life insurance renewals, whether it's AUM, whether it's financial planning fee, you've got this base, all right, and this base gives you the lifestyle that you want. 
But when you become bored, you jump off into it. You create a podcast, all right? You jump off in it and you start doing these little things over here. Mm -hmm. And what allows us to do that, though, is the base that we have created, all right? So many times I see younger advisors, people just getting started, they don't have a base. So they're over here, they're over here, they're over here, they're over there. Um, back in the mid 80s, I was doing a lot of public speaking on, on the circuit. And I would go into agencies and branch offices and do my shtick. Then people would say, hey, I want to become a motivational speaker. That'll get me more business. Mm -hmm. You have a story to tell. Right. That doesn't give you anything. And the beauty, if you don't, the beauty, if you had the base, if you had the income structure coming in and the team to support you, you can venture off into the podcast. You can venture off into the consulting. You can venture off into do these other things. But man, if you forget the base and the income starts to slip, how do you back it up? How do you get that train to go backwards to where you were? You tear it down, you reevaluate, and you start adding back in the tracks, if you will, right. what worked, what didn't work, until you find out, okay, now we're back on track. I can go try to do this again. Excellent. Totally agree with you. And, and you know, for, for everybody who's watching, listen to this, so many advisors just leave it the way it is or they make minor tweaks. And I have a term I call the shift and pivot. You cannot shift, you cannot pivot unless you tear it down first and look at it. So I think that's something very important. So I appreciate you uh, bringing that to, to our attention. Um, next item on my list, and again, you know, I'm going off my list here. Talk to me about early adapting, right? Because I know you, you make a big, you make that a big deal in the book that you want to always be an early adapter, technology, trends. Uh, I, you know, I remember you were telling me the story, um, you, you know, go, you going to the Heckling Institute and all these other places. Because you just want to know what's out there, right? I think a lot of advisors get very myopic. And I think those advisors, and we don't need to, it's not part of our conversation today, um, who work in firms are even more myopic because they see the world through the lens of their master, so to speak. That's the term I'll give it, right? So talk to me about why in your career, in your experiences, being an early adapter has been such a critical component of your success. I think you hit on the nose there, Joe, when you talked about the company structure that you will uh, i call it inbreeding you know when you're first getting started in the life insurance business or the broker dealer world you know you go to their conferences and they rah rah you know top producers and you know here's your jacket here's your pin and you know they teach you what you want what they want you to know i was at a top of the table meeting years and years ago and the guy at the dinner table you know i asked we got talking i said why are you here and he says that's a good question i don't know why i'm here i said i don't understand he says what you have to understand that the million dollar round table, the top of the table, the $25 million forum is hosted by life insurance companies. Mm -hmm. What they're feeding us, what they're getting us excited to do is sell more of their product. Right. I come to hear what they're saying so I can look 180 degrees out and say, where is the opportunity at? Mm -hmm. And that resonated with me. And, uh, and that same conference, at the, I think it was top of the table or $25 million forum, they had a gentleman which was, who was a photographer from National Geographic. And if you drink scotch, Dwarves has this great picture of a drift boat in Scotland and the guy's fly fishing. And as you lift his line up, you see all the little dots coming. Beautiful okay. picture. Don't care mm -hmm. about Dwarves, but beautiful picture. Got it. And he got talking and he says, I was there shooting swans. And something told me to turn around 180 degrees and take the mm. picture. The picture was the drift boat, not the swans. So that resonated because this guy at lunch said, I look just the opposite of what they're telling me to see where my opportunity lies. Now mm. this photographer is saying, the picture may not be in front of you, 
it may be behind, behind you. you. Interesting. So okay. if we take that philosophy and the trend is going this way, what's the opposite? Right. All right? right. Do we run into a building that's burning or do we shift through the ashes looking for what was destroyed? Right. Well, sometimes buying the things that have been torn down create more of an opportunity than jumping on at record highs in the stock market today, right. trying to eke out that last five or 10% gain. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. And let's let's also pivot into some other early adaption, right? I know you're very early into the financial planning game, getting paid uh, for your planning, right? Having a retainer-based model, because you're very clear in the book about what to call it, right? Things like that. So, so tell me about, you know, because obviously it wasn't like there were a lot of models about other advisors like charging for financial planning and, and running retainer models and things like that. So was it something where you just woke up in the morning and said, this is the right thing to do? Or I'm curious, how did you how do you end up there? How did you decide to early adopt into that paid planning slash retainer model? Great question, Joe. One of my early mentors, yeah, I named the guy, Cal Calvin, we knew him through Boy Scouts. And he got me selling life insurance. And I was selling just a gazillion dollars a term in life insurance. And back when annuities were paying 18 and 19%, mm. some of your young guys won't even understand that, but they were paying 18 and 19%. And as I went through that, he was trying to groom me for the life insurance world. Well, one holiday season, I had my three kids and we're watching TV and this movie, I wish I could remember the name of it, but this professional, December 31st, went around to everyone that he owed money to and paid them. Hmm. Then he went to his attorney, went to his bankers, went to his accountants and says, tell me what my accounts are worth to you the next 12 months. And they give him a number and he paid them. And he hmm. said, I don't expect a refund if I don't use you, but I don't expect a bill if I overuse you. Hmm. That resonated with me. Hmm. So I started thinking at the time, long before the internet, Right. right, right. Uh, I was getting on airplanes and I was flying to remote Alaska villages to work. And when I'd show up there, there was no one doing taxes, no one doing legal work, you know, seldom did anyone know what a mutual fund was. So it was an education process. So to me, it became realistic if you could form it all together. So when they came through Anchorage on their way to holiday or wherever they're going, it was a one stop shop. It wasn't to the stockbroker. It wasn't to the banker. It wasn't to the CPA to do taxes one place. Well, if you did that, you got to get paid. So that's what resonated early on. And uh, my initial fee was a thousand dollars to develop a financial plan back in the eighties. Then right. I charged 50 bucks a month. Right. Retainer fee at that point in time. Right. And of course you and I both know that's accelerated tremendously over the years, yes. but that gave me a base, right? That paid the bills. And as you know, as you talk about know my numbers, I knew I had to have the basic nut taken care of. Right. So originally the design was that the financial planning fees would pay for the overhead, selling products gave us the income that we needed to live. Right. Uh, so looking at that, then technology, because again, I was flying all over the world doing business and uh, the technology started to slowly open up. I mean, my, my first computer, I take, it took four disks to open it up, and I think they were 16 inches long, right? Put right. it in, where, 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 pull it out, the next right. one, you know? Right. And now we're down to, I can run my office off of an iPhone. That, right. Just amazing. But had I not adopted that early on, yes, I'm not sure we would have survived, uh, honestly, because I didn't have the budget to keep flying and flying and flying right. and trying to do business. Right. So all the technology allowed me to, I guess they're calling it, exit now or 2x or 4x what we right. were doing to right. make that 
make that grow. Yeah. And then again, I give Solomon credit. He, he told me years ago, he said, Floyd, surround yourself with younger people and adopt what they're doing. They right. will help keep you young. That's um, good. I still try to do that today. That's good. Good. Yeah. Excellent. No, that's a, that's a great story, and I appreciate that. You know, I think a lot of advisors are afraid to charge for fees. You know, I've talked about this offline, obviously, it's in our conversations. And, you know, it's really just a mirror of their own psychology, what they think they're worth, that they can't charge fees, unfortunately. And uh, I know you and I are working hard to change that, but again, it's like turning a tanker. Let's talk about one of our favorite subjects. I feel like Brian Gumble here. Just let's, let's move on. Now, Let's talk about your shift from being the ultimate shopkeeper to the ultimate man of freedom. So talk to me about that journey. Could you spend, again, it was a very good piece in the book. Um, and I know when we first met, the dude, you were the shopkeeper for sure. So I want to know about that journey from being the guy here to the guy you are today. You know, and we'll get into that. I, I didn't write it down, but this will be the time to talk about it. I, I want you to also in this in this segment here talk a little bit about your kind of and we'll go pre-COVID because I think it's more exciting, quite frankly. Your pre-COVID typical year travels, where you do your thing, how you do it. So let's talk about the journey first, and let's let's talk about how we're rolling. You know, recently, let's have that. You know, when I left the military, I served seven years serving our great country in various places overseas. And as my responsibilities continued to grow, I found that if I set the tone for the day, it sure made my life a lot easier, the shopkeeper, mm -hmm. right? First sure. in, last out. Okay. When I met you, of course, you're kind of freaking out over that. But I was at a program, all right? right. And I've always been one looking for that next level. So I can't yeah. remember if it was in La Jolla or over in Phoenix, but I remember the instructor, Steve Moeller. Okay. Steve Moeller asked how many people doing ABC, all the hands go up, top producers, right? Then he says, how many of you work less than nine months a year? One hand went up. Mm -hmm. right. right. Everybody says, oh, she'll answer you're full of crap. No way, blah, 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 blah. Yep. You know, and well, that was just it, okay? Uh, we designed the firm so that we could have more play time, if you will, mm -hmm. right? Long before we were profitable, uh, raising a family, three kids. I live in a great state of Alaska. So hunting and fishing and playing was a major issue with that. So we designed, uh, we, we call it, uh, what do we call it now? Surge time. But we did right. it before it was time blocking. All right? right. So I knew my numbers and I backed into them. So I said, I want X amount of clients. I want X amount of people to see every week. And I want to make X amount of money. So at the time, whatever that generation was, that's where I backed into it. Then I found that if I saw my clients four times a year, all right, and charge X and I'd have my Y, all right? Well, I didn't have to see my clients four times a year, five days a week. We could do it in spurts, all right? Mm -hmm. So we started seeing clients on the first two weeks of every month, which left the last two weeks kind of flexible, all right? right. And then we'd take the kids out of school and we'd go to Europe or we'd go to Hawaii or we'd go take these family trips and uh, long before we had cell phones. So I hit the airport, dial 1-800 the office, do I need to call anybody? Long before emails. Right. No. And then I, I remember when I got the first Motorola brick, uh, everyone was laughing and says, man, you're tied to your office. And I said, man, this is my freedom. I don't mm. have to sit and wait for your phone call anymore. Right. So I mean, each of those, those, those stages, as the kids grew up, of course, up until they got to high school, that played very well. When the kids got in high school, the uh, school district said, if you're out of school too many days a year, right. we're going to that so that curtailed us for a while 
All right. And then when the kids went on to university and the freedom just blew out, uh, as you know, we used to do Hawaii in Thanksgiving. All right. And now we do January, February in right. Hawaii, uh, freeing it up. You, you call it not tactical time, but, uh, Renewal time, just yeah, it's renewal strategic time. So everybody's listening, watching. We're talking about eight solid weeks on Maui. So we're not talking about back and forth. Like we are, we are headquartered at personally and professionally in Maui for those two yeah. months a year. Okay, I just yeah. want to make, I want everybody to get the right frame on this as you're explaining. So go ahead. Oh, yeah, I mean, I remember you had that one guy that wrote the book, uh, virtual CEO. They got on the sailboat, you know, the, the deliberate, uh, deliberate CEO. Yes. Yeah, all right. So I got real excited about it until I read it. And about every three weeks, got on a plane and flew back. You had to fly back to go deal. Exactly right. Yep. No, that wasn't what I'm not interested in that. All right. I yeah. want to be able to stay away and uncouple. All right. right. Yeah. Scott Leonard. Yeah. He wrote the book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uncoupling, we were still reading or keeping up with our industry, but just undisturbed with clients, happy to see clients all yes. the time. Right. right. Yeah. So more strategic renewal. We would call that a combination of strategic renewal time inside right. of that. Solomon would call it free days right. in his right. vernacular and things like that. Which is so, you know, I went with Solomon. You know, for years I was in his program where he was coaching us. You know, yeah. and his thing is you know free days, buffer days, focus days. Correct. Well, I didn't like that Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So we tried to do it a little differently. We do it like in like you know three weeks we'll do this and two weeks we'll do that. And right. Three weeks yeah. We'll do this. All right. Well, now that's morphed, as you well know, that we're doing six weeks in the spring, six weeks in the fall that are truly focused time, yep. all right? And then we got buffers on both ends of that, but we've got close to eight months of free time right now. And then that's between all the advisors in our office up here. Uh, right. This time. And we truly embrace that today. Right. Uh, you know, and, and in the book, I talk about hire the right staff and get the hell out of the way. Right. Uh, let them do what they do best, and they're going to protect us as we protect our clients. Right. And, and the only way you can really do that is to give up that shopkeeper mentality and really right. become more CEO leader. Right. So you let you enable, you give your people reins to go do that. And then for everybody who's kind of, you know, who's kind of wondering about what we're talking about in terms of schedule and weeks and stuff like that. So, so what Floyd and his business do, they run a concept called Surge. And what surge basically means, and I'll keep it you know, kind of very simplistic here, is that you know when they're doing client reviews, and whether you're doing a, a 12 2 like you know, two reviews a year, one year review a year with somebody, that instead of kind of having them populated throughout all 12 months or 11 months, if you will, if you took December, is they compress them into six to eight week blocks where that is the primary deliverable of that time. And there's one block in the spring, one block in the fall, and then there's sort of a mini block in the, in the summer, I do believe that you can do some check-ins like that. What's fascinating about that for everybody, then we're gonna continue on, is you know when, when this was first proposed, it was done as a test, because Floyd, you know, we like always do testa. And what I find interesting, I think it is a, absolutely a superior way to run a business because it gives you a ton of strategic renewal time in meaningful blocks, which you can do whatever you want. You know, take your bucket list trips, explore, you know, live life, almost in essence have a mini sabbatical slash retirement each and every year to go to quote Tim Ferriss. So I appreciate that. Let's transition a little bit to something that's a little bit more, you know, kind of germane to me. Um, you have always been an early adapter of, you've always reinvested in yourself. And not just economically, but you get, and look, you know, you're, you're based in Alaska. So nothing is around the corner, basically, for you. So talk to me about why many, many years ago, before this was like popular, because it wasn't when you started, 
why you felt like finding coaching and training and knowledge base and so like that. You took the economics because flying from Alaska is not inexpensive. It's time intensive to get to places, right? This is before Zoom, obviously. So tell me why. So tell me why you felt that training and coaching is so important and so valuable to you in your career. Well, I wanted to fly because I wanted all the extra air miles so we could travel, right? Well, dude, you, you picked a good place to live to go do that, that's for sure. No question. Yeah, a million miler with two airlines. I don't want another one. Right. Um, again, starting out, I work with insurance companies and broker dealers, all right? right? And it was at inbreeding, right? And, you know, at first, when you're young and dumb and you don't know what you don't know, you embrace that. Then mm-hmm. as you get exposure, like with the million dollar round table or $25 right. million forum, you start to stick your head up a little bit, look around. And obviously, I needed to have something that wasn't inside the life insurance world. Mm-hmm. And I'll give Sullivan credit that, again, at the top of the table, standing room only, Sullivan says, in that home office, there is a ledger. It's got your number on it. And your company, and I don't care which one it is, they're trying to find how to go from company to consumer and eliminate you. Mm-hmm. Now, we can argue, we'll never eliminate the salesman. We need them, and I happen to agree with that. Right. But if you're fighting that conflict with the company you're representing, who are you really representing? Mm-hmm. Because it's not you they care about. It's right. their bottom line. Mm-hmm. Okay? So that told me I had to get educated elsewhere. All right? Okay. And way back in the day, it was the International Association of Financial Planning before they morphed into the IFP today or whatever it is today. Right. Uh, you know, so all these conflicts. Uh, I, I believe Dutton was right on when he formed the college, but I believe the conflict of who's going to pay for what in between the CFP or the RFC or, you know, I'm a stockbroker, not an insurance agent. I mean, all those conflicts never allowed it to more. So I would take both. I would go and find an individual in the insurance world to educate me. I'd right. go in the securities world, let's educate me. And then we'd come back and dissect it. This works, it doesn't work. It's compliant, it's not. How do we make this us? Right. And in the book, I talk a lot about that. You know, I have been blessed having some of the biggest name mentors in the industry. So they wanted me to become many them. But what I wanted was take away their great ideas right. and incorporate it to us. Mm-hmm. You know, and in the, you know, the telling of the book, I said, if you can't do it, call us, we'll help you. Don't re- take what I've got. Don't reinvent it. Just make it better. Right. That's what an industry is about. Mark Victor Hansen, when, when I was back on the speaking circuit, you know, author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, you know, his comment was, you know, Floyd, you become, by going to places where you travel at, the books you read, and the people you meet. Right. And if you take the best out of all three of those and make it yours, you're unstoppable. Yeah. And that's but, where it becomes, you know, between the ears. That's yeah. where all our hangups come is right here. I can't be caused. I can't be caused. My company won't let me be caused. Right. Get the blinders down. Travel. Meet people. Suck as much information as you can when you go to these conferences. Mm -hmm. Right? Find someone doing twice what you're doing the way you want to do it and learn. Right. Just go see them because they're making three million and you're making one. Maybe they have a crappy life. Go find someone that has... They may be economically successful. doesn't mean they're successful. Right? And that's... No, and then, you know, my... My work is littered with people that are good economically, but the rest of their world is not where it needs to be. So, so you know, it's interesting. You, you talk about, you know, find mentors. And, and to me, it almost sounds like when I agree, it's like a buffet. Find, you know, go find the buffet line, sample things, see what you like, 
do those, right? And the other stuff, if it doesn't make sense for you, don't do it. And you know, for me, and, and you know this, you know, I've got core philosophies, but it's not about what I think or what, what's about me, it's about what's gonna work for the client, right? Because you know, what, what I think, or my interpretation of it, I'm not the other person, right? So as long as, and I, you know this I'm saying, if it works for you, it works. I'm good, right? It doesn't matter. So talk to me about one thing, and then we're gonna then we'll put on to a couple other things, and I, I want to give you some some final thoughts. So when you look at training and coaching, because you know you're you're kind of the consumer here, what do you think the industry is missing? So if you could gather all the industry leaders, and we don't need to get into who that might be, and that you could bend their ear when it comes to training, coaching, and development, developing young advisors, talent. What do you think the industry is missing today? Coordination, and you and I have had this conversation for 15 years. You are one of the best I know headspace-wise. You're not in practice management, but you were great in your headspace, all right? So someone comes, they get all excited in the headspace, but they don't know how to do the practice management. They can't make the two work, Mm -hmm. you know? Back when we used to have phones that had flashing red lights, voicemail waiting, God, I hated that. You walk back from a conference and, oh, my God, who's on the phone? What did I miss? I uh, hated that. Almost like right. emails today, yeah, right? Sure. Uh, we would come back from a conference and we got this list of this, all this great stuff. But the first thing you got to do is answer all those emails or and return those phone calls. So that box that you have, all this great stuff you're going to do, gets delegated back to the back table and mm-hmm. ultimately to the circular file can. And you right. start over again, right? right? Right. If we could coordinate mental headspace and practice management. All right. Start with the practice management. Where do you want to be in 5, 10, 15 years with the end in mind? All right. You, Headspace, where am I at today? How do we adapt Headspace and uh, practice management to move us along that line? All right. Mm -hmm. And I'm a big believer in a five-year plan. And every year you drop off a year and it's still five years. Right. Uh, I call it up periscope. At the end of the year, up periscope, am I on track? Oh, man, I'm off course. How do I need to adjust that? Do I need Joe to get in my head? Do I need to someone to go back to my numbers? Let's make a course adjustment. Maybe only right. one or two degrees, not radically, but let's get back on course. And there's no one in the industry that does that. Um, you're great with Headspace, but you know when it comes to practice management, not your gig. Yeah, no one and, I, know- and, I, and I recognize that, right? right. That's the key thing. Right. But if you said the industry, if we right. could bring those two things together somehow. Okay. All right. And then at an 051, a 100, a 300, a 500 type course, I got to believe it would change the way everyone's doing business. Interesting. I like that. Uh, And you and I, uh, from Del Mar to Costa Rica, have talked about the future of the industry. And you and I have had this crazy idea for many years about changing the industry and doing things like that, right? And uh, the question, as I gain wisdom, like we talked about earlier in this conversation, you know, does the industry really want to be changed? No, right? it doesn't. And that's no, and doesn't. Hence, and hence hence the challenge, right? Right there. Right. So, uh, so along with you, though, I think you're right. We change those that want to be changes. Right. Those that want to adapt and cha- make right. the changes, we're right. available to assist doing that. Correct. Hundred percent. One thousand percent. Good. So, so let's talk about a couple things, and then I'll give you some last words. So, one of the chapters is called um, "Do Not Allow Anyone to Rain on Your Parade." I would, use a, I would use a different term, but this is a G book. I understand that. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, because let's face it. We talk about headspace and, you know, the man or woman in the mirror, right? And there's so many people out there who will take you off course, right? Sometimes meaning well, 
right? As we know, they try to protect us, right, from things. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, when you, when you were thinking about writing that chapter, what was going through your mind? Like, you know, what are the stories or the narratives or the experiences that you had to say, you know what, this is going to make a good chapter. So walk me through that a little bit. You know, and again, as I have been to conferences and I listen to different broker dealers and insurance companies, it's always amazed that branch, those branch managers really and truly wanted little branch managers. Uh, they wanted people only to sell this product, only to do it this way. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was working for a major mutual insurance company and our little Alaska office was one of right. the top producers of a certain product. And they'd have me come out there and they want me to say, you know, how I'm doing this. And I'd start with, well, I write a financial plan and in the financial plan, we determine the wants, needs, desires, and then we adapt the product to fit that. Well, they didn't want to hear that. They wanted to sell the product, sell the product, sell the product. Right. Let's get efficient about selling the product, period. Well, right. yeah, it wasn't how I got to why they needed it, just sell right. more, right? right? Well, two things happened. Uh, along the way, the good thing was one of the agencies I was working with, and again, he was a leader in the life insurance business, Norman Levine. He didn't care about my financial planning at all. So he allowed me to develop my time, which meant we were selling more insurance because whether it's term or whole life or so on. All right, so we were leading a company in that, which was great. And then I decided to, to go with another company. All right. And December 31st, one year, uh, I have to say, again, our branch was in the top 10%. All right? right. But our equities were just rocking it away. All right. Mm-hmm. So I get this call December 31st, and the guy says, the regional manager says, Shalansky, if you don't improve your life sales by 100%, we're going to cut your payout and your broker dealer side to 20%. Right, right. You go, what? Oh, yeah. E. Lamino, you know, for 30, welcome the new year in. Well, the new year started. It's time for someplace else to go. Right, right, right. start making these changes. So they wanted you to sell the product. Now, for those of you just getting started, you know, with Joe or just listening to this, here's the reality. Companies aren't going to tell you. Their top producers cost insurance companies and broker dealers lots of money. So they don't want us. What they want us to do is attract the producers that don't do as much. Because if you hit every performance bonus, all the allowances, everything, I mean, your income continues to escalate. They don't make money on us, but we attract, top producers attract lower producers. And that's where they make their money from, all right? Yep. When I realized that, it's like, I can't be a part of that. That's stupid. We should be Mm -hmm. taking these young kids and teaching them how to do the job, my opinion, right. Develop a financial plan, do the strategy, sell them what they need, not what they want, mm-hmm. and, and go on. Joe, I got some of my best training in the life insurance industry. Yep. Bar none. All right. I just never drank the Kool Aid. Right. And that's what, and that, and I think that's where it would have been so easy for you to drink the Kool Aid. It would have oh, been yeah. so easy for you back then. And, you know, so we're not getting into naming names because that's a whole different animal. You know, you're talking about that behavior decades ago, that behavior still exists today. Right. Where companies will ping advisors if they don't do enough core product, they cut their payout in this area here. A large organization, if you don't hit certain revenue goals, we're going to. So, in other words, they talk one way about how we're all fiduciary, client centric, yada, yada, but the reality is it's still about the almighty dollar and about really, if you will, manipulating advisor behavior to hit sales targets by using payouts as the carrot and the stick. In, in essence, I think they would call. I don't think they would use the word manipulate. In well, that's the word I'm going to give it, but they'll call it something else, of course. Yes, yes. That's exactly right. Yeah, good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the last thing I have on my list, to me, it's near and dear. It's something I've talked about. You know this. 
I plan to make my last day my best day. You know, that's something I, I that's one of my uh, my belief sets for myself personally. You may be aware, you may not be aware. You know, I went on record last week or maybe a week and a half ago and I said, uh, I had this, and you were in Chicago uh, when we had this conversation several years ago. I said, I'll, I'll coach for 50 years, which at the time would have put me at year 80. And uh, I was on a walk about a month ago, and I was just thinking about that. And uh, I asked myself a question, what happens at 81? I don't like the answer. And I thought, like I said, what, do I say goodbye to everybody? Do I just go off in a cave somewhere to die? Like, I really thought about this. And, and I said, I didn't like it at all. So I said, okay, we're not going to do that anymore. I said, totally came off of that. Um, I tore it down. And so I now declared I'm going to coach till I'm 100, which means I got to live to 100. So I want to know, because I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think I know how you're going to answer this. Why that belief set, which I totally 135% concur with, by the way, being an advisor is really your best, your best years your last year. That should always be the goal. 100%, no matter what year that last year is. Walk me through that a little bit, if you don't mind. Uh, you know, we, we had these conversations. And years yes. ago, probably, again, I was at a major life insurance company at the time. Uh, people kept trying to buy our book of business, right? And I was entertaining thoughts, you know, of a half a million, 750,000, those kind of numbers, you know? And, you know, in, in the mid-80s, early 90s, I guess I thought that was a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You sit down and you start looking at your comp, though, you go, huh, if I'm making that every year, why would I want to do that? All right? right. And again, being a baby boomer, I grew up with the thought process is that you work hard, accumulate your assets, you retire. But, I, you know, that retirement word, uh, plaid pants up to here in Florida doing shuffleboard doesn't work with this cowboy. I, I don't, I, I can't even visualize, I can't even visualize that for you. Well, I enough. visualize it. That's the reason I keep doing this. Okay, uh, fair enough. But, but one of the things that I see, now when I say visualize, not for me, it's what I don't want to be. Right. <laughs> when I look at that, right? Right. Um, I tell my clients the following. When are you going to retire, Floyd? As I've said, as long as I have my mental competency and my health, I don't see myself retiring. Good. However, I hope I have enough cognitive ability if I start slipping. First, do no harm. Right. And if I think I'm making bad or poor recommendations that harm a client, I'm done. All right. right. Uh, I hope it's the night before the good Lord light meets me off the planet. Right. right. That's kind of my thought process. All right. Now, I go back to Solomon again. He tweeted something three, four months ago. The more successful you become at delegating, the less you know what's going on in your business. Mm -hmm. And I sit there and I go, huh. Because as you know, with the kids, Jamie and Micah run in the practice. Right. uh, Sometimes I'm not sure day to day what is going on. But if you trust your people, you got to trust your people, right? I mean, ultimately, that's still what it boils. You know, look, growing up, and you know, you know, we don't go off topic on this, but when you've been intimate in the inner workings of your organization for so many years, and then kind of, there's always this natural tendency to question, like, what the question, what is going on, right? And that's where you got to go back to, I have a great team, I trust them, there are, my interests and their interests are aligned with it. And, and you know what, you don't need to know everything. You know, I've been like, and I don't want to get into me, but like, I've been working very hard the last three months to not know things. Like, I don't, like, Marissa, my wife, Marissa, yeah, you know, my business partner. I don't, I said, stop. Just make the decision. I trust you. I don't want to know about it. Right? Like, because we just, the more we try to take in here, it clutters up the, the brilliant part. And we don't want to do that. So, no, I, I, I appreciate that. And by the way, my goal for you is to, you know, definitely make it through 100 doing what you do going forward. So, I'm going to give you the last two, three minutes. 
How do you want to leave our audience? What words of well, wisdom? Number one, if there's anyone listening to this that's over the age of 68 and still rocking it doing business, please call me. I love being around the young guys and the gals. I really do. And, and I don't want to offend anybody by he, she's, or pronouns, all right? I'm an old cowboy. It's he and she. It's guys. Guys are guys and gals. So hope I don't offend anybody. But if you're over 68, 69, 70, still rocking it, I'm looking for a mentor group. All right. Someone I can get together that shares the same ideas and have life experiences. Let's go do things and talk about how we got to where we're at and how we're going to make it to the next 30 years. All right. Uh, the big thing, though, Joe, and the reason I probably wrote the book, some of it, as you know, is kind of my life story, kind of telling things out. But the other side of it is, as I go around still to conferences and I listen to people talk, whether it's your Magellan group, whether it's uh, the Perfect RIA group, whether it's the IFP group, uh, all these guys, I hear the same, it's always the same thing. Nothing is changing. This industry that I have brought my family to where we're at, financial planning, is still today in crisis mode identifying who it is. That happened with Dutton way back in the 70s when the IFP and the CFP separated. Right. Uh, the pandemic, you know, one of the big things from the new president of the uh, FPA was we need to identify what we're doing. I'm going, we just went backwards 50 years. Right, right. Clients need us, they, they truly do. And they need an advisor that will first do no harm. Not based on AUM, not based on products they gotta sell to meet a certain contract. What does the client need today, all right? Man, if we could do that, everyone listening to your podcast can make so much difference in people's lives. And that's the reason for the book. Because honestly, my office, can't afford to take care of all the people that are going to go out of business in the next five or 10 years. And the need for what we do just simply continues to expand. So don't get me wrong. I can be greedy and like to have all the business, but the reality is we don't have enough bandwidth to do that. So the more people that we can help survive, grow and provide that level of service. Hey, I'm all about helping. That's great. It's great. And thank and first of all, I want to thank you uh, for your time today, uh, for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to you know, interview you and, and to kind of share your wisdom with our audience here. And uh, again, for your friendship uh, for these past 15 years. And uh, before, we, uh, before we wrap up, I just want to just again uh, mention that we will have links to Floyd's book and how to get it via Amazon uh, inside of the show notes. So again, whether you're watching us on YouTube or you're on the podcast side on iTunes or Spotify, it'll be in the show notes for you there. And I want to thank everybody for their time today. And again, uh, thank you for watching and listening to this very, very, very special episode of the Magellan Network Show. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of the Magellan Network Show. Hey, if any of this resonated with you, I invite you to come to MagellanNetwork.net and we have a powerful group coaching community of like-minded advisors. Come in for a trial. You and I will have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Let's see if I can help elevate your game, both personally and professionally.